Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I know that I've said this before, but kids, if you're starting up a sports podcast, make sure there's a franchise like the Niagara Ice Dogs in the league that you're covering because it's the Niagara Ice Dogs that are the gift that keeps on giving to the OHL podcast. My name's Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. That guy over there is Dan Mahar on Twitter at Dan Mahar. And let's dive right in with a big trade this week that has pretty much the entire league talking. In fact, it's landing in our inbox. Josh writes to OHL podcast at rogers.com. What's up with these London Niagara trades? Subject line says it all. Not the first seemingly lopsided trade to benefit London. An 04 player in Crane, who's not really off to a hot start, goes to the Ice Dogs, and in return, London gets the 05-born O'Flaherty, two third-round picks, and a fourth-round pick. What am I missing, Dan and Mike? Make it make sense. Thanks, as always, Josh. Dansky, uh, make it make sense? No, it's not making sense. Well, you know, you said you like, if you're starting a podcast, you like to have a franchise like Niagara. Well, what about if you're London Knights? You'd like to have a franchise like Niagara. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, this one... I, I, there's been a lot of trades in this league over the years, many involving London Knights where I've thought, yeah, that seems a little lopsided and I'm not quite sure why, but I got to admit this one to me felt the worst of all of them. And, and, and this is no disrespect to Brody Crane. He's a gamer shows up, but the price seemed extremely high for a player that hadn't really hit his stride this year was a 19 year old player. London was looking for a spot for him. Wasn't really going to fit into their lineup much longer so, yeah, to get an 5 born player who's outscoring him, I might add, but the three picks were extremely high, two-thirds and a fourth like that. It just seems it seems extremely fishy that a GM in this league would agree to that. Uh, given the prices we've seen, I mean, you just we just talked last podcast about an 80-point center going for a third and a fifth. Um, here you have a, an extremely high price for a player that was pretty much out of sorts in London. So yeah, this one doesn't look right to me, Mike. Uh, so I'll probably leave it at that and get your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. It doesn't look right to a lot of people based on the chatter that's been happening since the deal was announced. But if you start to peel back the layers of this onion, Dan, it might start to look a little more right than it appears to on the surface. So when you talk about something not looking right, or it seems a little bit fishy, what comes to your mind when you see a deal like this? Well, I mean, the the conspiracy theorists might say, did a brown envelope go the other way as well? Um, and I'm not, I just want to suggest that because I think a lot of fans instantly jump there. But you just wonder why, what is the impetus for a GM to agree to give up this kind of a price for that, for that player? Right. Okay. So... I suggested to you when we were talking about this over text that both deals that London has made with the Niagara Ice Dogs so far this season have a common thread. Did you figure out that common thread between the two deals? 
The two deal that uh, so you're talking so the, you you go back to the you, Humphrey no, yeah you go back to the Humphrey yeah. and Paris for Juan Copeland deal and then you add to it the uh, Brody Crane for O'Flaherty and Picks deal. There's a common thread between O'Flaherty and Juan Copeland. Okay, so you're talking about the player London's receiving uh, along with the picks. Yes. yes. Uh, no, had had not uh, had not gone there. I was focused primarily on the picks, given that neither player was likely to be a big factor. But. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some stuff out here for you that is factual for sure, and then let's see if we can build a little bit of a case around this. I I don't think. Look, the problem is in the absence of a lot of facts or a lot of understanding conspiracy theories are going to run rampant. And I might also say from the outset, it's a bad look for the league. I want to be clear that I don't think there are, despite the conspiracy theories, any envelopes full of cash passing from one GM to another or anything like that, at, at least not in this case. We know things have happened in the past in this league, but I don't think this is one of those situations. I do think this is something the league might need to address. So let's look at Juan Copeland, who the London Knights acquire from Niagara earlier this season for Ryan Humphrey, Matthew Paris, and then the Knights get Juan Copeland a second and a third, right? For that package. Then they go and trade Brody Crane for Christopher O'Flaherty and get, as you mentioned, two thirds and a fourth. The common thread that links Juan Copeland and Christopher O'Flaherty together is that they both are American-born OHLers. Juan Copeland comes from a little town called Fowlerville, Michigan, just over 2,000 residents living there. And uh, Chris O'Flaherty is from the bustling metropolis of Chicago, Illinois. So though that that's a fact. Both of these players are American-born players. Here's what else we know about the Ontario Hockey League. And you and I already talked about this earlier this season, Dan, when it comes to what used to be called the standard player agreement in the Ontario Hockey League. It's now the development and scholarship agreement. Is that scholarship how it goes? Development. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, and we, we decided, and it makes sense that the Ontario Hockey League wants to emphasize that, Hey, players, just like in the NCAA, when they're in the Ontario Hockey League are also getting scholarship funds. Well, when you are an American born player, you are going to, very likely attend school in the United States of America. We all know that tuition at a school in the United States is far greater than tuition at a school in Canada. We also know that when a player who plays in the Ontario Hockey League attends a US-based school because they're from the United States, that tuition is paid in US dollars, not Canadian dollars, okay? So we know this to be sure. So let's just say that the Niagara Ice Dogs are looking at the balance sheet and they see on their balance sheet players like Juan Copeland and players like Christopher O'Flaherty and Darren Dobler's thinking to himself, man, oh man, I'm committed to these guys for four-year scholarship packages at a U.S. school in U.S. funds. And one of two things is happening here. Either I can't afford to pay that or I just don't want to pay that. So now you start looking for a trading partner, but not just a trading partner for the player. New, 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 new. What you want is a trading partner for the scholarship package. And along comes Mark Hunter and the London Knights, 
If it's one thing that we know about the London Knights, it's that they are flush with cash. Would they have any problem whatsoever picking up a scholarship agreement for a U.S.-born player that's going to go to school in the United States and pay that tuition in U.S. dollars? Nope. Furthermore, if you're the London Knights and you're Mark Hunter, who else do you have to answer to before making that transaction with the Niagara Ice Dogs? Nobody. You don't have a board. You don't have a president. You don't have a CEO or a COO. You got nothing. You're the man. You and Mark own the team. So you're eliminating layers of bureaucracy. You've got the money to do it. Essentially, and I'm not trying, please make no mistake, I'm not trying here to defend in any way the London Knights because everybody loves to hate this team and start talking about envelopes full of cash being passed back and forth here. But in a manner of speaking, we could argue based on these facts that the London Knights are actually doing the Niagara Ice Dogs a favor because Darren Dobler may not want to or cannot afford to pay those tuition packages. And so if, if I'm doing Darren Dobler a favor, what's he going to do for me in return? What's the only currency that Double D, as he's called in St. Catharines, that he can provide back to me? Oh, draft picks, you say. So I've got a second and a third from the Copeland deal, and I've got two more thirds and a fourth from the O'Flaherty deal. Bob's your uncle. How does that land with you? No, it lands great. And, and, and excellent background, Mike, because you're absolutely right. There, there's financial implications. And I would just tie that whole thing up with a bow by saying when I'm referencing a brown envelope, I'm talking metaphorically. And really, that's the same thing. You're leveraging your money. You're leveraging your financial might to gain advantage competitively on ice. And I'm not saying London did anything wrong here. You can do that. You can say, yeah, we've got more money. We don't have a board to answer to. We can make this happen quicker. We can, we can do these things, but effectively at the end of the day for the league, it's still teams with more financial might gaining an on ice advantage through being able to acquire these assets, whether you paid for them with a brown envelope full of cash illegally or through a brown envelope full of cash through taking on a, a heftier scholarship. Effectively, it's the same thing in my mind, but obviously not illegal, uh, shrewd, you might say, uh, for London. But yeah, I think I, I think the optics are bad for everyone based on uh, how this happens repeatedly and what it means in the standings. Uh, having said that, you're absolutely right about that background, Mike. So it's not the stuffed envelope of hundred dollar bills you'll see in the movie here that we're talking about. And uh, you know, Mark Hunter in a trench coat in a dark alley at night. It's not that. It's these other things. But effectively, at the end of the day, it's tomato, tomato. Yeah, I think to a point, but. I, I'm not sure that every fan, and look, I'm just trying to connect some dots here, okay? I'm not saying with absolute certainty this is the situation that has transpired twice already this season between Niagara and London, but I'm feeling about 99.8% there on this one. Again, when you connect those dots that we just shared, which are flat-out facts. So I think where it leaves you, and, and I understand that fans just want to think that something nefarious is going on. And frankly, it's more fun to think that something nefarious is going on. I, I will bet you, and I've said this before, having Dale Hunter on this podcast is my white whale. And I'll bet you, not that he'd admit it during the podcast, he's never going to come on, but I bet you the hunters absolutely love that this reputation, this, this aura exists about them. 
But really, if we are to accept the information that we just shared as factual, connect those dots and decide, you know, underhanded, dark alleys, trench coats, brown envelopes or not, this is a little bit unsettling because there's a competitive advantage. Sure. But the way I see it, you're left with three options. Okay. You can be pissed off at the London Knights because they run a really good organization. They make money hand over fist. They've got a sweet arena deal with parts of the concessions. I mean, you could go on and on. You could be really pissed off with the Niagara Ice Dogs for doing the exact opposite. Quite frankly, by all indications, they're not doing a very good job of running that franchise at all. And they're either hemorrhaging money or just don't want to spend it. Or you can be pissed off with the Ontario Hockey League for allowing an owner like Darren Dobler to buy into the league and conduct himself in this manner. I think those are your three options at the end of all of this. Hate the one team for running a sound and really financially successful franchise. Hate the other team for doing the opposite or hate the league for allowing somebody with either limited business sense or limited finances. And I think it's more the latter than the former into the league in the first place. Those are your three options as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's going to be limitations around this league, no matter how you do it, Mike, you got 20 franchises. They're not all going to be on par economically. They're all going to have different circumstances. So you're going to have these advantages one way or the other. It happens to be London Knights and, you know, probably the Kitchener Rangers, Ottawa 67s. You've got a few teams that are at a financial advantage. Always will be. Um, you can start putting structures in place, maybe limiting the number of packages or, or enforcing that teams must have the financial might to carry X number of American financial packages. Or you can put structures in place. But like you said, at the end of the day, nefarious isn't the word for what's happening here. It's just a it, it's a reality. And I think that fans are going to be disappointed if they expect it to stop anytime soon. It takes me back to a conversation we already had earlier this season on the podcast about Mississauga mostly and St. Catharines slash the Niagara Ice Dogs to a lesser degree. And I shared from being there last season towards the end of a lost season, 4,000 plus fans at the Meridian Center. Beautiful building, absolutely terrific junior hockey market with a lot of history there. And, and clearly, even for a losing team, they could get that building full. And so it's really disappointing for me to have been there this year, saw maybe 1,200 fans, a complete and utter terrible atmosphere. And you're just thinking, gosh, somebody is really throwing away a great resource in a great market right here. Meridian Center being the great building and St. Catharines being the great market. And, and so for me, I would almost say, don't don't punish the London Knights for running the franchise well. Like we got to, And I don't know. I, I met Darren Dobler one time briefly. It was during the preseason, just after he had bought the team a year ago. So 22, 23. And I went to watch the game from my broadcast booth in Kitchener. And I opened the door to my broadcast booth and Darren Dobler and his team were in there. And I'm like, what do you this is my anyway. And that was it, it was a quick. Hello. Welcome to the league. I didn't really need to sit there. I thought that's just where I'd watch the game from because I wasn't working that night. And that's it. I have also heard since I started sniffing around this thing and kicking a few tires that my theory of a lack of financial resources in Niagara may not be all that sound. I'm told, and I have it on pretty good authority, that when Mr. Dobler exited the uh, insurance game, 
it was in the, the tens of millions of dollars that he collected on his way out the door from the sale of his brokerage. So that that sounds like plenty of money to me to run an Ontario Hockey League franchise. I think we might have talked about it on this podcast. Man, there was a huge Lotto 649 not too long ago, or Lotto Max. I don't know. I don't play them much, but I got up over $60 million. And I'm like, you know what I'd do if I won? I'd buy an OHL team. Because the, <laughs> the rumor out there is that the Ice Dogs went for somewhere between 16 and 20 million bucks. Well, if I had 60 plus million, I've still got 40 million in the bank. And I think if you run it well in the right market, I'm not talking about getting rich, but I'm not talking about hemorrhaging money either. I'd love to give it a shot. I, and and I, I just think that maybe, just maybe, uh, they're, they're having a tough time running it well in St. Catharines right now. Uh, I think that's fair to say. And uh, I mean, that day when you walked in the booth, Mike, did you think that Darren DeDobler maybe had traded for your booth? Like, <laughs> build a couple of right wingers and got your booth. So, yeah, I, you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, this comes down to the end. And, you know, without knowing much more than that about Darren DeDobler's finances, I would say that most of these people that own these teams, one way or the other, they've, they've got deep pockets, deep enough to, to be doing these things. But you're right. The onus is on him. If you can't afford the American scholarship packages, maybe don't draft the kid. Maybe don't sign the kid. There's there's things you have to take account for. But if there's one thing I know in life, and this is my own personal commentary, no way reflects the opinions of Mike Farwell. But I think when you uh, one common theme with a lot of very wealthy people is they don't like spending a lot of money. So if they can if they can take some of those uh, expenses out the door, they'll do it every time, regardless of how much they have in the bank. So. Yeah, I think it's mismanagement is probably the word here that we're looking for uh, to describe this whole scenario. I'll add one more little Pollyanna aspect to this before we move, we move on and stay with the Niagara Ice Dogs. So you want to talk about mismanagement, there's more to talk about. But in the back of my mind, I've thought about this. And, and really, if it's one thing, love them or hate them. And I know most people hate them. And that's the hunters in London. But if it's one thing we know for sure, it's that these guys love and i mean love their players dale has had players living with them before they treat them like their own kids if you saw the video after he won number 908 and the celebration in the locker room this guy loves his players and so the pollyanna aspect of all of this is while the london knights are running a really financially successful and lucrative franchise they're doing it so they can send kids to school they're giving them a chance to play hockey at a pretty high level and then they're sending them off to get the education and they're paying the freight because they love the kids they love the hockey players i don't know oh that's my pollyanna aspect in all of this yeah i don't think you're wrong i mean i've yet to encounter a former london night player that didn't speak extremely highly of the hunters so you're getting it from the horse's mouth. The people that experienced it, they seem to enjoy their time in London and an awful lot of those guys are continuing hockey in the NHL right now. So yeah, it's hard to criticize what they're doing. If you thought that when I ran into Darren DeDobler sitting in my broadcast box at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium and he had just traded for the broadcast box, have you yet been contacted because you're the only one of the two people on this podcast with any coaching experience? Have you had the call? Are you ready to come in and take over the Niagara Ice Dogs? You could be the fifth head coach in the past year and a bit. Holy Hannah. If I'm being honest with you, I think Ryan Kuabera is saying, thank goodness I'm out. Yeah, you know, Mike, I haven't been contacted, but if I did, I'd have to book two or three weeks off my day job for probably the duration of my stint before I got fired in Niagara. Uh, yeah, I 
shake your head is all you can really do at this. I mean, you talk about, we talked about this earlier where the number one thing you're looking for in a junior hockey franchise to have success is stability and stability. Like you don't want to have too much roster turnover. If you can avoid it, you want to have stability around the coaching staff. You want to build a culture. And here we are this far into the, the Dobler stint there. I don't, I don't know what culture we're building. I don't know what stability we've seen other than, in my viewings anyway, I certainly don't think Ryan Kuwabara was the issue. Um, but it, it's one of these things where he's going to have to take the experience he got in Niagara and, and build on it from there. But it was a bit of a gong show he was involved in and probably just one of a few victims to come out of the Niagara Peninsula this year. Daniel Fitzgerald was there first and, of course, is back in this league as an assistant with the Guelph Storm since his time as head coach in Niagara. Jeff Angelitis was there on an interim basis. Then it was Ryan Kubara and now Ben Boudreaux. Yes, that Boudreaux family, uh, son of Bruce, who's now a special advisor or special consultant to the Ice Dogs. But I- I'm hearing around the rinks, Dan, that ownership in St. Catharines believes what they have on the ice is a playoff team. And that's why they've decided to make the move that they've made because clearly if they have a playoff team on the ice, then it must be the coaching that's not getting them into that playoff position. I, I've i lost count. I think we're at 30. Could be more, but I think we're in and around 30 as the number of trades that Darren Dobler has made since acquiring the team a little over a year ago. Still well more trades by number than wins on the ice. And look, again, I I don't know the man. I don't know anything about running a junior hockey organization or a national hockey league organization. Like it doesn't matter, but this just, it defies all logic from anything I've ever seen. I, I don't quite understand what the rationale is for all of the moves made. And now scapegoating who a guy who from everything I heard uh, up until and, and since his firing that in Ryan Kuwabara was a, a terrific hockey guy and a terrific hockey coach. Well, yeah. And speaking from a coaching perspective, from Ryan Kuwabara's perspective, and you talk about they being a playoff team. Well, how do we even know? How do we know what they are? Uh, you don't go a month with the same roster. You, you, constant turnover. That's extremely hard for a coach to, to get anywhere with all that change and instability. Whether they're a playoff team, I don't know. I don't think it's a ridiculous assumption. I think when you look at the parity in this league and eight of the 10 teams in the conference are going to make the playoffs and there's no team well out of it, sure, sure, Niagara could see a pathway to the playoffs. Absolutely. I don't know that they're going about it the right way. Uh, he may only be looking at the bottom line saying, yeah, we got a couple of playoff dates. That pays for a few more of those scholarship packages. But realistically, yes, this team could be a playoff team. But how about you, uh, you ride it for a little while so that everyone can see what you've got. You can see what you've got. A coach can actually get somewhere with it. But with all that upheaval, I don't think you're ever going to see a team succeed. Couldn't agree more. And that's why I just say it, it defies all logic. And not that I'm an expert, but it's certainly not the way I would go about running a franchise should I be fortunate enough to own one. One more little thing uh, attached to this that I found interesting. Ben Boudreaux's coaching experience prior to arriving in St. Catharines with the Niagara Ice Dogs was with the Fort Wayne Comets. And who coached the Fort Wayne Comets a long time ago in a league far, far away? Huh. 
Bruce Boudreau. What do you make of that? And now Bruce is the special advisor slash consultant in Niagara. And his son is the interim, at least, or no, is he, is he got the interim tag or he's the head coach now, right? So Ben is now the coach yeah. in St. Catharines. Anyway, I just, I'll just leave that out there for your consideration, but I came across that little tidbit and I thought it was worth mentioning on the pod. <laughs> well, yeah, when we talked about Bruce Boudreaux coming in as a special advisor, I think in the back of a lot of our minds, we thought maybe Ben Boudreaux would eventually land in that chair. So in some ways, this shouldn't be shocking, but I'm just not sure that any of this was really Ryan Kubar's fault. Couldn't agree more. And like I said, I, I would bet that he's breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief to be, because I, I just don't know how you coach when the roster's changing as often as it, it was and probably will continue to change in St. Catharines. Okay, there was another trade in the Ontario Hockey League this week, and I'm going to take credit for part of it. I was on record because anybody, I think, with any sense of the game recognized that the Kitchener Rangers, with the return of Roman Schmidt from the Syracuse Crunch, the AHL team of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who own Schmidt's NHL rights, when he was returned to the Kitchener Rangers, it created two log jams. One in the overage situation, which we'll get to, and two on the blue line. So on our post-game show after the Rangers game, that first weekend after Schmidt's return, I said, the Rangers are going to have to make a deal from their blue line, they're going to have to trade one of their eight defensemen because, frankly, I just thought it would be unfair, given the way the other guys were playing, to take one out of the lineup arbitrarily. And I also said it would probably happen within the next week. It didn't take a week. It took a day. And it wasn't the guy that you might have thought because you could have addressed both the overage and the defense situation because there are two overagers on the Rangers' blue line. Nonetheless, this is the long way around of saying Tomas Hamara, a third-rounder to the Ottawa Senators, has been dealt from the Kitchener Rangers to the Brantford Bulldogs in exchange for a third and a fourth round pick. Yeah, this one didn't actually surprise me at all, Mike. Just watching Kitchener, it's been a great story this year. The back end has really come along well. And I think it's just one of those natural things. No one's, there's no uh, malicious intent here. I think Tomas Hamara saw that his opportunity was declining as the top four in Kitchener were pretty solidified. He was getting third pairing minutes with, with Carson Campbell. Okay situation, but he wasn't getting power play minutes. And then, of course, with Cameron Reed returning, now that Roman Schmidt's back, you got to play your first round pick in there. So the opportunities were going to be dwindling. So I think with the Ottawa connections of uh, Michael Ann Lauer and Steve Steos, they they saw what was happening with their prospect, the agent. They, there's some conversations happening. Said, you know, why don't we get this kid to to Brantford? Can play with Landon Donovan, another one of our prospects, be a top pairing guy. Uh, kind of works out for everyone, really, Mike. And and I think probably the price was uh, relatively fair too with the third and fourth. So I think this was just one of these organic trades that happens in the OHL sometimes. It kind of works out for everyone. I think that uh, power play time that Tomas Hamera will get with the Bradford Bulldogs is probably the key piece in all of this. But you assess it really well. And now getting back to that overage situation in Kitchener, look, if I'm a Kitchener Rangers fan, Dan, I'm pretty excited by what's going on right now because, again, the Rangers do still have to deal an overager at some point. They've got the luxury of time because one of their overagers is injured right now in Mitchell Martin. But along with Martin, they've got Matt Sopp, and then on the blue line, Roman Schmidt just returned and Simon Motu, who was a Rangers draft pick, been there since the beginning. That's why when you looked at the crowded blue line for Kitchener, you might have thought you solved two problems at once, 
and deal one of the OAs on defense. You didn't do that. So now the Rangers are still carrying four OAs. They're going to have to move one. And with Tomas Hamara being traded away, you have an open import spot on your roster. For a team that's running a surprising first place in the Ontario Hockey League, I think this opens up a world of possibilities. And and Rangers fans should be downright giddy over what Mike McKenzie, the general manager, may do with those possibilities. You're absolutely right, Mike. That's the bottom line. I, after Roman Schmidt was returned kind of unexpectedly from the Tampa organization, I had a lot of fans reach out to me and say, oh, my God, what what are, we, what are they going to do now? There's too many guys. they got to move. And it, almost like it was a crisis management situation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like having these assets is a good thing. And I think when you have a coaching staff like we're seeing with, with UC Hocus and, and Flynn and Krasakos on the bench, you're going to have NHL teams look at that and say, yeah, you know what? This is a good spot for our kid. We'd take a Roman Schmidt. You know, he's not going to get minutes in the NHL this year. Let's send him back. So you end up with this embarrassment of riches and sure it's a problem you're going to have to solve. I think when you look at Kitchener down the road, the element of time here is actually a blessing in disguise. Cause when I look at the roster, Mitchell Martin fits it like a glove. As far as I'm concerned, a big bodied power forward playoff experience, a uh, little bit thin and small, otherwise on forward uh, with some younger bodies, on the back end, you're pretty loaded, so you could move one of uh, Simon Motu or Roman Schmidt. I think they love Simon Motu tutoring uh, Cameron Reed, <laughs> so I think they love that pairing. So I'm not sure Motu's going anywhere. So, and Matt Sopp, the hometown guy, probably leading the team uh, in points up there with Carson Rakoff at the end of the year. I can't see him going anywhere. So you're you're probably coming back to uh, one of Mitchell Martin or Roman Schmidt moving. Uh, who knows? Depends what the offers are, but I think uh, there there are some flexibility and options here that are opening up, but like you said, with the import slot, maybe you can replace one of them that way. Uh, anyway, uh, point being options open up when you get these assets returned to you, when you have a good culture, you have a good environment. It all just means good things for the kitchen Rangers. Fans might not see a pathway to, to how they're going to solve these issues, but, but they'll figure out a way. That's what they're paid to do. I'll just uh, throw Trent Swick's name out there as a guy that's filled in very ably as that uh, prototypical power forward in Mitch Martin's absence for Kitchener. Had a great weekend, the weekend we just watched him. Uh, for Tomas Hamra, how do you like going from the team that was just now ranked number one in the OHL's power rankings, take them for what they are, to a team that's not even ranked in the uh, 16 teams that get listed weekly. Again, we know it's a move that he wanted to make. It's going to be a good fit for him. But I bring that up just because when the season began, the first power rankings that were released by the Ontario Hockey League did not have the Kitchener Rangers listed on it. And seven short weeks later, they are number one. It has been a wild season. In Kitchener. I know we dwelled on this last week probably more than we intended to, but what a story is all I got to say. What a story. Well, you know, Mike, I mean, I I said all along, November 13th, Kitchener would be number one in those power rankings, didn't I? I, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, think I said that. Go, go check the episode from uh, or late September and see what it says. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure I said something like that. Uh, number one or ninth in the conference. I said something like that. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a, it's a remarkable story. And I don't know that anyone expects they'll necessarily end there at the end of the year, but no matter how you slice it, what a great story uh, unfolding in Kitchener this year. The Kitchener Rangers this weekend, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and put on my pessimistic Pete hat for a moment. The Kitchener Rangers picked up two wins this weekend over first place teams in their respective divisions. 
Uh, the Peterborough Peets on Friday night leading the East and the Sioux Greyhounds on Sunday leading the West. The Peets were coming in having played the night before on home ice. The Greyhounds were coming in having played the night before in St. Catharines. When the Rangers beat the London Knights in a battle for first place a week earlier, the Knights were finishing up three in three. And when you look at the Rangers losses, and there are only five, you see a loss to Owen Sound when the Rangers were playing their fourth game in seven days. You saw another loss to Owen Sound when the Rangers were playing back-to-back games. They had been at home on Friday, played a rested Owen Sound team on a Saturday, and they had the same situation playing a rested Mississauga team on a Saturday when the Rangers had to play the night before they lost that game to Mississauga as well. This has all come around to my favorite thing to analyze this year, which is the schedule. But look, the Rangers have played as many games as any other team in the league at 19. It's been a really busy schedule, but unlike, for example, the London Knights who have had three, three in threes already this season, they're having one more, uh, not this week, but next and a fifth three and three in early February, the Rangers only have two all season long. So I think the schedule is intriguing, but only if you want to have a really pessimistic outlook of how the Rangers have strung together this 14 and five start. Oh yeah. And the schedule absolutely is a factor. And I'm it's not to take anything away from catching. They played really well. You still got to go out there. Still got to win the games. There's still great teams. Just because you play the night before, doesn't mean you're going to lose the next day, but it is a factor. It changes the probabilities. And I think everyone's aware of that. And, and having the games a little more spaced out, uh, like Kitchener has this year, like you've just said, that's that's going to help you in the standings. There's no doubt about it. But uh, once you get to playoff time, no one can hide. So uh, these things will sort themselves out. And the Rangers are in the midst of a 13-game month of November. So keep that in mind. And also keep in mind fans of this league who have been enjoying not seeing London at the top of the Midwest division in the first seven weeks of the season. Despite all the success and the great story that is the Kitchener Rangers, the London Knights, the London Knights, pardon me, are three points behind Kitchener with a game in hand. So ain't nothing over until it's actually over. Just like this podcast, we've still got uh, to talk about uh, an email we got from one of our favorite listeners in Rhode Island. I love hearing from him. Okay, he's probably our only listener in Rhode Island. But if you are as passionate about the Ontario Hockey League as Joe is, your emails are welcome anytime on this podcast. Plus, the U-17s are prospects of the week. And the Ontario Hockey League has made what? The official what of fans? Who? Somebody get on the phone with sponsorship and marketing in the league offices and find out how this deal came to pass. So all of that is still to come on the OHL podcast. kids the u17 world hockey challenge and pei uh, are coming home with gold medals thanks to john dean the head coach of the sioux greyhounds and team white at the u17s let me see jack nesbitt from windsor tyler hopkins in kingston ethan jada from niagara wesley royston and matthew schaefer from erie owen griffin from oshawa ryland singh from guelph cameron reed from kitchener carson cameron from peterborough and Jack Ivankovic, the goaltender from Mississauga. How about an embarrassment of riches in Mississauga's net, eh? Ivankovic, the youngster, Ryerson Leander's tearing it up. But all those players, under the tutelage of John Dean, 
win gold at the U-17s, a 2-1 overtime victory over the United States. Yeah, and for those unfamiliar with the tournament, Canada has two entries in it. The other countries have only one, and most of a lot of those kids play together. The Americans send their national development program team there, so they actually have a, a lead-up to this tournament where they've actually built chemistry, whereas Canada comes in kind of cold. So neither of the two Canada teams did particularly well in the round robin. They just kind of mediocre results. But as you'd expect with a team that hasn't played together and a coach like John Dean uh, working through the week, they they got it together, made the finals, and then won in overtime, a really thrilling game. But you heard the list, Mike, that you just read off. And not only an embarrassment of, of riches, but embarrassment of OHL riches. That's a long list of OHLers on that Canada white team that won the tournament. Uh Definitely a handful of, of OHLers also on Canada Red who, who did not win the tournament, but a couple injuries uh, occurring outside Beauchene and, uh, of course, Brady Martin couldn't go the whole time. So a couple of the OHLers on Canada Red uh, dealing with some health issues, but what an embarrassment of riches. Top, top uh, couple picks in the OHL draft in Schaefer and Hopkins. You have uh, that decor just loaded with talent from, from the OHL uh, and Ivan Kovic, as you just mentioned, uh, had some highlight reel saves for that team. So uh, well done to the, to those, uh, those kids to, to come out on top of that tournament. But these kids are all, if you pay your, your 20, $25 for a ticket to the OHL, odds are you're going to see one of those. You just heard that list of teams, Mike, that's, that's spread around the league. Yeah, it just speaks to uh, why people love this game at this level, love this game at this level, because you get to see talent like that as they make their way to the next level. And you mentioned Brady Martin and selfishly here because he's from my neck of the woods in the beautiful community of Elmira. But I hope he can, you know, start getting more regular ice time and get beyond that injury because uh, he's going to be a treat to watch. And selfishly, I picked him to uh, win the rookie scoring race this year, which I think is our ship that's already sailed, but looking forward to seeing Brady Martin back on the ice regularly. We missed the chance to see him in person when the Sioux was in Kitchener this past weekend, because of course he was still uh, down Easter making his way back after that U 17 gold medal. Okay. I don't know if you raised an eyebrow or not at this, Dan, but, but I certainly did. And look, I can I can hear the criticisms now and, and go ahead, tweet at Farwell underscore OHL or send an email OHL podcast at Rogers dot com. But Dan, you can back me up on this. I mean, you and I have enjoyed the occasional adult beverage in the past. They wobbly pop, so to speak. I'm not a prude. I'll, I'll tell you right now that that most Friday nights after I get home from work, which is broadcasting an OHL game and hosting a post game show. I like to go home and unwind with a nice cold beer. I love me some beer. What I can't quite wrap my head around is why the Ontario Hockey League decided to make a beer the official sponsor of its fans. That's like, take the beer money, please. I'm I'm not a prude. I, I'm not saying there shouldn't be beer advertising. Heck, one of the arenas we play in regularly is called Budweiser Gardens. Sleeman Center, take the beer money. There's that's not the problem. Sell beer at the concession stands, but but the official beer of OHL fans is Carlsberg. I find that incredibly curious. Am I the only one? You know, I I, I don't know. I, I think on the heels of the NHL going hog wild with gambling and some of these ruffling a few feathers there, I think it's not unnatural to be a little 
curious about an official beer of a league of mostly minors. Uh, having said that, I, I don't know, maybe we're, maybe we're splitting hairs. I, I know the Carlsberg company just bought Waterloo Brewing. They have a stake in the, in the local area now. So who knows? Um, but yeah, it's, it, 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 it does at least make you raise an eyebrow. I think that's true. Listen, I totally understand it from the Carlsberg side of things. You're right. They just bought Waterloo Brewing. They want to increase their footprint or their impressions in North America, Ontario. Great. Again, I, I can certainly see it from that side. And I don't think the Ontario Hockey League should say no to the beer-related advertising slash sponsorship revenue. I'm just asking why you're making it the official beer of fans. You talked about most of the players in this league are not even of legal drinking age, but the irony, the irony that this announcement was made on the same day the Sarnia Sting were hosting a school day game against the Saginaw Spirit. We all know why school day games happen, right? Because the league particularly in markets that are a little soft attendance-wise, wants to start attracting the next generation of fans. Look, I love me some Peterborough Peets, and we'll hear more about them before the end of this podcast. I'm pretty sure if it was just a joke made one night or if it's actually statistically accurate, might have the oldest fan base in the league. Somebody, I remember making some wisecrack about the blue hairs or the gray hairs up in the liftlock city on a Thursday night. And I'm not trying to pick on you, Peterborough. I love you. The, the reality is the league does skew older when it comes to the demographic of its fans. So they host these school day games to attract kids to the games. So maybe the kids like the games and go home and tell mom and dad that they want to go to another game sometime. The same day they're hosting a school day game, elementary school kids, their official beer is Carlsberg. The league tells us I, I'm sorry. I know it makes me sound like a prude. I know it makes me sound like I'm yelling at a cloud, but there is definitely a, a disconnect. I would I would call this very incongruent with what the league is trying to establish itself as. Take the money. I would not have placed it here as the official beer of fans. That's all. Yeah, I know that's fair. You know me. I I think it's kind of all ridiculous anyway in this marketing world where uh, lumping fans as though the fans have a consistent opinion on anything. And yeah, when you're talking about fans, this league, Mike, you're talking about what percentage, I don't know, 25, 30, 40 that can't drink. So how is there an official beer of the fans? So it's all just, I'll chalk it up to marketing nonsense, Mike, but, uh, but you're not wrong. <laughs> I would have just looked for a different place to put it. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you think I'm picking nets, uh, let's go to uh, our favorite listener from Rhode Island. Joe, thanks for the email to ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Uh, a few weeks ago, there was a story about the ungodly mess. I'm quoting Joe's email here. That was left be behind inside Sudbury Arena after a Friday night Wolves game. Parents and loved ones attending a minor hockey game the next afternoon were greeted by piles of garbage in the stands. This is not an attempt to embarrass the janitorial staff in Sudbury, Joe writes, although it's a legitimate question to ask why the arena was left in shambles following the Wolves game the night before. What I don't understand is why fans feel the need to toss their garbage on the floor at hockey arenas, seemingly ignorant of the fact that someone has to pick up after them. 
You would never attend a friend's backyard barbecue and litter the ground with plates, utensils, napkins, empty soda bottles, and the like. You would pick up after yourself and your kids because, well, that's what any responsible adult would do. Why do so many of us routinely abandon these common courtesies when we attend OHL games? End of rant. Keep up the good work, fellas. Joe in Rhode Island. Dansky, thoughts? <laughs> well, my thoughts are, Joe, and anyone that knows me knows that this thing, courtesy, respect, these kind of things, that's a hill I will die on. And I, I'm with you, Joe, like uh, 100%. And I know that the custom in a lot of these arenas, a lot of these events and movie theaters is, you know, you get your popcorn, you get your beer, you get whatever, you just throw it under the seat, someone else comes along, and that's just customary. And probably a lot of people never even gave it a second thought. I, I, I am the guy that takes my garbage with me if I do it. Uh, I sit at these games. I see people hit the concessions two, three, four times during the game. So they've got a fairly sizable amount of garbage and every bit of it goes under the seat. Someone else comes along and cleans it. And I know they're agitated. Well, they're paid to do that. They're, that's part of the experience. I'm with you, Joe. I think that small courtesies, uh, respect for each other, those things are important. Uh, so maybe we're splitting hairs picking nits as you called it mike but but i any anything that promotes courtesy and decency and just good manners and being good citizen out there i'm i'm fully behind so yeah just take your garbage with you (laughs) so i got a few thoughts on this shockingly first of all when i was a kid i remember what a thrill it actually was for me when my dad said yeah you can just drop that on the floor. You can just leave it there under your seat. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. I can finish my bag of popcorn or my cup of pop and just drop it. Uh, As an adult, I'm with you, Dan, all the way. If I brought it from the concession stand, you can bet your ass I'm going to take it to a garbage receptacle on my way out. I just can't see my way clear to leaving it behind. But other aspects of this that have occurred to me, the Sudbury Arena, and I'm not I'm not picking on Sudbury either, I'm not, or I'm not trying to, but this is the reality, and I've talked about this before. It has the same cornerstone, 1951, as the Memorial Auditorium in Kitchener. And I can go into the Sudbury Arena and see how the bones of the buildings are similar in some ways, especially on the lower levels uh, with the big cement walls and all these different things. But the reality is when you go into those buildings, they look dramatically different today. Yes, there have been a couple of renovations at the Memorial Auditorium in Kitchener, but just generally speaking, the the upkeep has been a little bit better. And that's not a shot at Sudbury. That's just reality. Compare the two buildings opened in the same year. So I don't know. And, and then connected to that, one of the other things that I see by virtue of the work that I do, by the time I sign off a broadcast at night, the cleaning crew is already well underway its work at the Memorial Auditorium. And and I can tell you the number of people that are in that building and the effort that goes in to clean up from people that aren't me and Dan and don't take their stuff to the garbage with them. And it's a pretty well-oiled machine, but by the time I'm walking out of there between midnight and one, uh, the place is already pretty damn clean because the, the crew gets right in there. So I don't know if it was a, a one-off night in Sudbury or what might have happened in that particular instance, but I, I don't think there's much excuse for leaving it behind. And if Sudbury's looking for an opportunity here, let me share this with you. It's more recent in Kitchener. It hasn't gone back all 70 years, but dear Sudbury, if you get the opportunity for a Jehovah's Witness convention to come and use your arena for the day or the weekend, take it. 
there's this thing called the Watchtower Convention that comes to the odds several times a year. They pack the place. And I am not making this up. Ask anybody connected to the premier uh, entertainment venue, Hockey Arena in Kitchener, the Memorial Auditorium. Ask anybody connected to that venue what they think of when the Jehovah's Witness groups come in. They're like, can we have them in every day, please? Because these people, by the hundreds before they leave, they're not just sweeping floors. They're like wiping everything down. The place looks cleaner than when they came in. So Sudbury, if you haven't yet cashed in on the Jehovah's Witness conventions at the Sudbury Arena, go get them. Because I'm sure that's another reason that the odd in Kitchener stays as clean as it is. But the crew does a great job on a regular basis, too. So there you go. A little bit, not something you didn't expect on the OHL podcast this week. <laughs> Did not expect Jehovah's Witnesses to come up. But I will say I've driven by during those conventions and seen the way they conduct themselves. And when you make a point of putting on your Sunday best, your suits and ties and go out there, you're, you're concerned about appearances and respect. And I think that's how they treat the facilities as well. So no question about it. Okay. Let's get to our prospects of the week. Dan, who you got this week? All right. I got to preface this really quickly, Mike, by just saying I'm now broadening my definition to the true term prospect where anyone whose rights are not owned by an NHL team, anyone who is available to, to an NHL team. So sure. I, I just felt that I couldn't go any longer without showing some love for Kitchener goalie Jackson Parsons, Mike. Phenomenal week. Uh, beat four really high quality teams, surrendered only five goals in those games, two shutouts. League leader in wins, I believe second in save percentage, tops in shutouts. Uh, I don't know how much more this guy has to do to say, to announce himself to the hockey world. We know he's an 04 born player, missed most of last year with injury, has dealt with some injuries during his career, so hasn't really had that opportunity to showcase himself for teams. But I don't like to have too much uh, Kitchener bias based on where we're based, Mike, but I, I couldn't go much longer without giving a nod to Jackson Parsons. He's been money all year for Kitchener. Uh, brilliant saves in just about every one of those games. And like you said, beating no slouches here. So putting up the numbers he's putting up, my guy is Jackson Parsons. Mike, who you got? You know, it's it's funny. I thought of that. And I think absolutely this does this is open to anyone who does not yet have uh, the rights owned by an NHL team. And Parsons' name did cross my mind. And I thought, well, what have you done for me lately? I'm still going with the quote-unquote, it's early small sample size. I'll just add to what you said. Uh, having gotten to know this young man over the years and just was gutted for him when he had that injury last year when it was supposed to be his coming of age and getting some regular playing time in the Ontario Hockey League. He kept one of the best demeanors for an injured player in a big year than I could ever imagine. And he's just an all-around uh, good kid. I'm really happy to see this happening. Uh, for me, I'm I'm not going far off anybody's mark here. And I've got Liam Greentree of the Windsor Spitfires, despite the fact that the Spits lost all three of their games this weekend when they played back-to-back-to-back. Greentree was definitely a bright spot. Three goals, four assists for seven points over those three games. Hard to ignore production like that for the draft-eligible forward. And I'll throw in an honorable mention because had it not been for Greentree, and I'm not digging deep here, but I'll give a shout-out to Henry Muse up in Ottawa Five points with one goal and four assists over three games. Two of them wins and a plus five rating in that time. And just while I talk about Muse, I'll throw in a note on the standings. Look out, Peterborough. Start looking over your shoulder because here come those Ottawa 67s again, right? They've got wins in six of their past nine, points in seven of those nine. And they're just one point behind the Peets for the East Division lead right now. And 
just while I'm talking standings, I should throw in there as well. Uh, look out to St. Mary Greyhounds because the Saginaw Spirit have found the right gear, I think. Five in a row now for SAG, five points behind the Sioux with a couple of games in hand. And you look at that West Division and maybe a little bit of returning to earth. You know, with, with Windsor, Dan, they're just they're struggling mightily, still just four uh, regulation wins on the season. And the Sarnia Spirit or Sarnia Sting as well have lost five of their past six now and are coming down those standings in the West. So it's going to be the Sioux. It's going to be Saginaw as we move forward from here into the uh, final three quarters of the season. Yeah, and I think no one was shocked to see that with Sarnia, with no disrespect to them, but a lot of people predicted them to be ninth or 10th in the West. Didn't expect that hot start would last. Uh, they've been getting some terrific uh, seasons out of some players, a couple of whom, when you talk about honorable mentions, I had Mitch Young on there as well for Sarnia. has been phenomenal. So uh, I think those those teams will hum along okay, but there was destined to be a bit of a coming down to earth, which I think we're expecting in Kitchener as well. But back to your prospect of the week, I definite uh, shout out to Liam Greentree's had, had a terrific year. Windsor, if anyone's looking for some entertaining games, go see some Windsor Spitfire games because you tend to see a lot of goals. And I know Henry Muse is your boy up there in Ottawa. Yeah. You've uh, had your eye on him since forever ago. So I thought I'd throw him in there as the honorable mention. Okay, I don't know the last time I mentioned this on the pod, but I am a huge fan despite the fact I grew up in Kitchener and I, I broadcast Rangers games now. My favorite uniform in the entire Ontario Hockey League is the Peterborough Peets. I just love that classic maroon and white. Ever since I was a kid, I remember when the Peets were coming to town, for whatever reason, it was just like, cool, it's the Peterborough Peets. And I've really developed a fondness for the city getting up there. They're really passionate about their junior hockey, their Peterborough Peets hockey. Thursday nights and going to the PMC, that's the stuff of tradition up there in Peterborough. Absolutely love it. And and the Peterborough Peets were the Kitchener Canucks a year before they came the Peterborough became the Peterborough Peets. So all kinds of connections. Maybe that's why I have a soft spot for them. This week on our feature interview coming up on Friday, I get to talk to uh, one of the hardest of the hardcore Peets fans, I guess. He, he I guess he's so passionate about the team that he has decided to write a book about them. And so what better time for the junior hockey fan on your list, even if you're not in Peterborough, to maybe consider a little bit of a junior hockey read for the holidays. So Nick Caravaggio is going to join us. He's not only a billet and a season ticket holder and went to games with his dad until his dad passed during that championship run last year, but he's now a published author of Pete's 101. It's like your introductory course to all things Peterborough Pete's hockey. I think you're going to love it. I certainly did. And that'll be our feature interview on Friday. Awesome. And can you ask him if he drinks Carlsberg? <laughs> well, he's a fan. I mean, he must, right? We all do now, right? Apparently, yeah. We're, we're gonna we're gonna have a couple of Carlsbergs on uh, on this podcast next week. Uh, do, do, do you drink that stuff? I haven't drank it in a long time, Dan. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not discriminating, Mike. I'll drink what you put in front of me. So <laughs> maybe Carlsberg would like to become the official beer of this podcast. Now that would make oh. sense. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> that guy over there is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore. OHL. Please remember, give us a like, subscribe, tell a friend, and send us an email anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Your next episode of the OHL podcast, Pete's 101, coming out on Friday. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. 
legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.